whilst this week's sport zone on Salford City Radio, I'm Rob Parkson. I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. Yeah, hi, Rob. Yeah, certainly am. Yeah, we've got another action-packed show, haven't we? And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to delving deep into the world of Salford sport. Yeah, lots to go at this week. Paul, will start with the Salford Devils. They were in action in Super League action this week against Wigan Warriors at the Salford City Stadium. Went down to defeat, though, 26 points to six. Talk us through it. Yeah, well, it was a terrific day. I mean, just walking up to the stadium, I cut through the cemetery and you could hear the noise of the, of the various things that were going on, all the music that was there and the, the Armed Forces Day. A terrific start to the game. And don't forget, we had that cannon going off three times as well. And I jumped out of my seat three times. It was absolutely booming. But yeah, the match was... Um, it was a strange game, really. I mean, Wigan, we know, are a, are a very tough and robust team that, that tend to grind you down. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And um, you play a bit like an NRL team, to be honest. They're not like a big flamboyant team. I'm not taking it away from them. But, yeah, they do the, the, the tough stuff and do things right. And, but the first half was a close one. There wasn't a lot of chances. Solver had a few early doors chances. But um, scored a good try through Ben Helliwell to level the scores after uh, Shorrocks has scored for Wigan. But went in 8-6 down at the break. But I thought it was a very close game and not a lot in it. But in the second half, I think Salford faded a bit, really. Wigan sort of turned the screw. Mistakes crept in from Salford and um, a couple of lapses of concentration. And before you knew it, Wigan had a 20-point lead. And that's how it stayed, really. Um, and I think Wigan were the better side. I think they were better in all departments. Salford were very much disrupted, losing Ryan Briley. Uh, he didn't come back on after his head test. We also started after we brought Brody Croft. We didn't have Andy Ackers either. So the spine got disrupted. And I think that uh, played a big part in today's uh, de- Sunday's defeat. Sorry, so uh, so yeah, a twenty-six six defeat. But uh, there was a lot of effort there, but just a side that a bit low on numbers, and uh, you know Wigan just had that bit more more strength. I think they they, they bullied our pack really. Our pack was struggling a little bit. So uh, yeah, it was uh, wasn't the, the best day to be a Salford supporter. No, it was like I say, tough game. Uh, Wigan eventual winners. Like you said, with Ryan Bradley going off injured and with Brodercroft not being available and Andy Ackers, it's like you said, a big part of our spine that is absent. And obviously, Paul Rowley puts a lot of emphasis on his spine and, and how they perform and how he wants his team to play. So, them three being missing does have a big effect on, on what Salford can do. Yeah, it does because you've got to change things around, haven't you? I thought Ken Seal was terrific when he went to fullback. He looked steady as anything. Um, and he could make a living out of being a fullback. There's no doubt about that. He's got all the skills in the world. He's good under the eyeball. He's quick. And I think he'll probably be the natural fullback when we play Wakefield next week. I'm not a betting man, but I would have thought with Ryan Briley being out now, Ken Seal will make that transition. I'm sure he will do. So, yeah, that, that happened. And then he had to shuffle things around. Luckily for Salford, they had Matty Costello on the bench. Uh, you know, you can go with four forwards, but Paul Rowley had, you know, shuffled his cards there and gone with Costello. So he came on and, and took the place um, on the wing of Ken Seal with, with Dion Cross. So it, it did work out quite well, that in a way, you know, a bit of a makeshift uh, shuffle round. But uh, but no, you're going to struggle, aren't you? Because Ryan Briley plays as an extra pivot as well. So that you could see that, that the attack wasn't quite there then, was it, after Briley had gone off and we missing Croft as well? I thought Chris Atkin played really well, worked his socks off. Uh, I thought Tim Lafayette was as dangerous as ever. Joe Burgess probably had a bit of an off day. You know, made a couple of mistakes. I think he could have scored a, a, a try there, and he could have done better for that that, that defensive uh, misread when Miski went over for uh, for Wigan. So, but other than that, I didn't think there was a lot in it. I mean, twenty points is probably 
probably scoreline flattered Wigan slightly. I don't think we were 20 points worse off in the game. There wasn't a lot in it in that, that second half. But uh, but no, it's another defeat. And, um, you know, there's a lot riding on the game at Wakefield. Now, Wakefield have been desperately poor this season. So Salford will be desperate to get the, the two points and get back up on the, uh, on the ladder. Yeah, two defeats in two games. One in the Cup um, and this week against Wigan. Um, is there a danger this season could start to sort of implode in front of us, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think there always is. I think when you've got a squad like Salford, you, you're only a couple of injuries away from you know really being decimated by injuries. You don't forget we've got other people out at the moment. Alex Gerrard's a massive miss, I think, in the pack. Um, he's <coughs> hopefully going to be back soon. But, you know, he's, he's struggling with his knees at the moment. But Andy Ackers, I think, is a big miss for us. He should be back for the Leeds game, I think, according to what you're saying after the game. So that's that's a miss for us. And Brody Croft as well. And you've got Ryan Briley out now. So, so yeah, I mean, Wakefield's a big game. You know, you lose that game. Then you've got two massive games against Lee and Leeds, uh, home games um, in the league after that. So the games are coming thick and fast, aren't they? And you're only ever a couple of defeats away from... You know, falling down the, the league. The league is so tight this season at the moment. We're still in a great position in the, in the top six and, uh, and doing really well. I mean, it could be worse. It could be somebody like Huddersfield who have got like the mirror image of our form, haven't they? I think they mm. won five, lost ten. So there's they're a long way off us, aren't they? So at the moment, we're in a good position. But you know, you can't rest on your laurels. You've got to keep playing well and, and getting results. And uh, it's results-based business. So we need to beat Wakefield. Yeah, uh, we spoke to Chris Hacking, Ben Halliwell, Adam Sidlow, Sam Stone, and Paul. Rowley after the game and this is what they had to say so we're joined by uh, Adam Sidlow defeat today how'd you feel uh, it's a tough one to take because it was a physical game and I think it was closer than what the scoreline says I think it uh, flattered Wigan a bit but all credit to them they, they did a number on us at home and it's not, it's not what we wanted obviously defeat last week defeat today you know obviously you got hurting all as, as a group how do we bounce back how do we find our feet again we're confident there. We're up, we're up there for a reason, and we know that um, it's just not working on the field at the minute. So we'll come in training this week. We'll fix it on the field. I know it's a bit cliche, but that's what we're going to do. We'll watch the video and um, get get it right where we need to. Yeah, obviously injuries play a part. No Brody Croft. Ryan Bradley goes off injured as well. Um, obviously, you know, as a team, we've got to adapt to that. Yeah, it's a big part of our spine and the way we play. So yeah, we didn't adapt well. Um, players that come on play well, but it's just not how we train and. It just messes up a bit, so we do need to adapt better and uh, fix that. But yeah, I thought it's a tough, tough one to take today. Yeah, uh, Wakefield next week. Um, they found a bit of form, but like you said, we're top of the table for a reason. We've got enough good players in this squad to, to turn things round and keep that playoff push going. Definitely, coaching staff, players, it's quality. It's just we just need to get it right on the field, and um, we'll bounce back and give it to Wakefield next week. Brilliant. Thanks for talking to us, and uh, good luck next week. Cheers. Thanks. So I'm joined by uh, Chris Hacken, defeat today. How do you feel? Just disappointed. I think one word to sum it up. Uh, you know, we wanted to improve on last week, um, and we, we maybe did that in in some areas, and then in other areas we were we were way off again. And you know that performance isn't hopefully isn't going to be repeated, um, and we'll take take a lot of lessons from it of where we need to be to to sort of go on and win something. Yeah, obviously, try just for half-time, try just after half-time. How does how does that sort of go down in sort of the changing room on the field? Obviously, you, you've got a plan, you set up a plan, then suddenly they score again after. Yeah, we, we spoke about it at half-time and we thought we, we nailed what we needed to fix up and, you know, it was sort of two little, two little moments in that first half, a, a missed tackle on myself and, 
um, you know, a little kick over we should have dealt with. So, you know, we put our hands up in the change room, we were an honest group. Um, and we wanted to fix it up, we knew what we needed to do and, and obviously second half we just kind of didn't take an opportunity which was presented in front of us. Yeah, another positional change for you today, standoff. Uh, how, was, how was that for you today? Do you, you feel like confident you could do that again if Brody's not fit? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought um, you know, I, I defended well um, and that obviously went into my running game and I, t- I thought I took the, the wigging on um, reasonably well and tried to make some something happen obviously um you know you you've not got your man of steel uh, in the side and a- any team misses those sort of players so you know we know we'd love to have Brody Brody back as soon as possible whether when that's going to be we don't know but we'll we'll regroup again at training this week surely obviously all, all the positions that you play you know it, you're such a valuable member of this team yeah obviously i just you know, try to do whatever whatever's asking me for the team um ideally we'd you know, have all the players playing, and, and I'd maybe have me, me feet up on the bench, me winning, winning games or whatever it is. You know, I, I'm happy to do whatever is needed of me and to get the win, and that's what's the most important thing, and that's what we spoke about then. So, you know, whatever 17 is going out, we, we are trying to to get the, those performances right to make sure we get the win. Yeah, we uh, wait for next week. Opportunity to bounce back. Yes, obviously short turnaround with it being on the Friday night. So, and a massive game. You know, going to Wakefield, they've just got the first win of the season, um, and they'll be you'll be look, probably looking at that game. So, you know, we know we've got to turn it around from our last two performances and and go the you know fully prepared for the best Wakefield that they've got. So I'm joined by uh, Ben Hellowell. Defeat today. How do you feel? Yeah, just a bit deflated. Um, thought there were a chance to get them there, but um, the good team. Um, second half. Uh, didn't help us the start of the second half I think they came out a bit aggressive and I think we couldn't match them but um, yeah just a bit disappointed well, positive side you scored yeah uh, first try for Salford so yeah I'm happy with that but like I said I'd, I'd, I'd substitute it for the win any day yeah obviously try just before our time try just after our time kind of knocks you, the, the confidence knocks the, the plan out doesn't it really it does yeah it's, um, it's the little mistakes that um, Good teams like Wigan capitalise on them. So um, yeah, I think it's our wrongdoing that we've got, we've got them points um, just before them, just after our time, and I think that killed us a bit and uh, our confidence killed us confidence a bit. But we'll bounce back next week. Yeah, Wakefield next week. Opportunities, like you say, to bounce back. Last couple of weeks, two defeats, one in the cup, one in the league. Obviously, lots of lots to fix up. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, and um, work here. They're hitting a bit of form, like the, the, the beat leads, and then they, they came close against OKR last week. So um, it's not going to be an easy battle against us, uh, for us. So, but I think um, we need to prove, prove ourselves and the fans yeah. um, that, that we're, we're worthy of it. And have you settled in at Salford playing well? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've settled in well. Um, lads have help, helped me a lot. Um, I came here last, uh, last year for two games, and I knew, I knew lads when I, when I first signed. So yeah, I gelled right in straight away. So. Brilliant, thanks for talking to us and uh, good luck next week. Right, I'd say Paul Rowley joins me. Another, I thought it was a bit of a tough slog that today against Wigan. Weather wasn't the best, was it? And they had to we change the way you play. Lost a couple of players as well. Doing it tough at the moment. Yeah, yeah, doing it tough, but um, I thought it was good value at the half-time interval. I thought the uh, last players had a big bearing in field position and territory in that first half. Uh, but to go in at that score and be comfortable and, and not stressed, to be honest, um, you know, I was looking forward to the second half, but I thought Wigan really simplified the game, almost too simple. Uh, that offered us an opportunity to apply some pressure with our defence, which I don't think we took. Um, and and as a result of that, Wigan have been in that situation many, many times. That's what you know. Your big games and your cup finals and all that generally, 
you know, the 20 30 minute period where it's, it's kind of who blinks first and uh, and again we're going to accustom to being there and uh, you know the lessons that we we need to learn uh, obviously accept that uh, we, we need to be better in them moments but uh, as always never a lack of effort and, and commitment and just probably yeah just uh, you know a good team kind of doing what they do I think there was one or two 50-50 calls that went against you today at crucial times in the game. You lost Ryan Braley as well. That's, that's a big miss, that boy. He doesn't have to shuffle things around. But I thought the players who came on did, did a good job, didn't you? Michael Stone never lets you down. Danny Addy comes on and does well. Must be pleased with, with that, you know, with those guys that came off the bench. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But you, again, if you look at if you look at their bench and look at our bench, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a difference there. Probably, probably a few hundred grams worth as well. But um, yeah, Matty lost sight of one where we got done on, on his edge on one. But other, overall, he, he does what Matty does. He's full of enthusiasm, uh, tough, carries well. So yeah, he, he's great, you know, as, as they all are. But uh, and Kennedy, great fullback. So we've got no dramas with that. It's, it's like I said before. I just thought the rook, the rook speed uh, when we've got the ball, and, uh, and 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 the opposite, obviously, when we're defending. I, I just thought you know, it, was a, it was a very slow rook, and, uh, and and we need to manage that better. Did Ryan fail his HI? I presume he didn't come back on. He did, mate. Yeah. So that's two games now because of the short turnaround. So yeah, unfortunately. Can you give us any updates on Andy Akers? I know he wasn't in the squad this week. Is he near it now because he's had a bit of time off with his with his head yeah, as well? Yeah, he, he's good as gold. He, he, you know, he, he's he's good as gold. He could have played uh, in in our view uh, last week, but um, the specialists, you know, I think the phrase they're using the, because of the current climate, which is never a good a good basis to make a, a decision on. It's to me, I'm a black and white sort of guy, so uh, he's good as gold, but protocol. Uh, and, and whichever specialist, you know, they all say different things. There's no, there's no strict rule in the two, three, four, five, six weeks, which is uh, I, I struggle when there's no logic. But uh, you know, it's, it's one of them things. That I don't think it'll be good for this week, but uh, we will be trying anyway. Have you got any more concerns? I know we spoke a few weeks ago and we said about Alex Gerrard's biscuit knees being, being a bit of a struggle after <laughs> yeah. that picture. How's Alex doing? Is he? He's, he's getting there. So. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, he's yeah, he's clearly got a lot of degenerative arthritic knees and God knows what. Could so. it be an operation that, or is it something? No, that he's just, he's just, uh, it's just the way it is. He's, he's, he's a busted, but we, you know, we'll. Uh, so we, we try to nurse him back to the point where when we get him back, he stays back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's not far off. Uh, I think this week probably come too soon. Wakefield away next Friday. Mm. Tough game going there. I don't think you can take them for granted. They seem to be making a bit of improvements, don't they? For the record, Salford have got a terrible, terrible away record at Wakefield. So that's going to be another tough game. It's the turnarounds that kill us. I think everybody plays a short turnaround and, and they all kick up a song and dance. But uh, you know, unfortunately, if we play games on a Sunday. More often than not, you get a short turnaround. So um, we, yeah, that that's my biggest uh, threat, if you like. We we, we just got to. We've just got to try and patch people up and, and, and find some energy from somewhere for, for Friday night. Thanks very much for speaking to us, Paul. Cheers. See you Wakefield, mate. Thank you. Right, Sam Stone joins me. A, a tough afternoon for you. Uh, how, how physical was that against that Wigan team? Yeah, you know, it was, it was pretty physical, especially once the rain came down. You know, both teams kind of tightened it up a bit and, you know, it was kind of played in the middle third a lot. And, yeah, very physical game. How do you think, feel you went today in that game? Uh... I thought I thought I just got stuck uh, tackling a lot, which was 
you know, um, you know, we had a, a goal there to get it French, and I don't think we did too great in the second half of that. So, um, yeah, just got stuck tackling, man. We're going to that sort of side that just keep going and keep grinding you down, aren't they? And, uh, you know, it's difficult that sometimes and it's a combat again, especially in those conditions as well. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we had some opportunities there and we, we failed to take them, and I think that was the difference between, you know, the, the two teams. We had an opportunity there early in the second half to, you know, stretch it out to probably 12 points to eight, and we threw it over the sideline and they went the other way and scored and made it 14-6. And, you know, that, that was kind of the story of the game. We were missing our opportunities and they were taking theirs. Got a few players missing as well. You've got a tough game next week against Wakefield. They're the side who's only won one in the season. It's important you go to that game and, and, and focus on it and, and don't take them for granted at all, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. You know, those desperate teams are very dangerous and uh, I think in, in the past month they've been they've been playing not too bad but just not quite getting the results. So uh, they're definitely not going to be easy and especially we only beat them close here last time. It was a very physical game last time and they're definitely not an easy beat. Enjoying your time at Salford so far this season? So far, yeah, mate, it's been good. Uh, we've had a couple of good runs of string a few wins wins together in a row and let's see if we can do that again and keep climbing the ladder. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us, Sam. Thanks, mate. All the best, mate. So obviously, all the lads very disappointed about the result, uh, Paul, and obviously smarting about what's happened and hopefully they, they're hoping that they'll turn the corner against Wakefield. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's... Um... It's difficult when you get beat. Like I said, there's a lot of effort there. The players are right to, to be down about that. You know, it was a, a crushing defeat the week before at Hulkinson Road. Really. So that's two two defeats, really, where they've... I don't, I don't, you can't say there's a lack of effort. I don't think it's that at all. I think, you know, things... You can have blips in seasons, and we've just had two poor results there. But, you know, it's vitally important that you don't sulk about that. You've got to get back back, back going, haven't you, and, and get that result. So, uh, so yeah, I think they'll, they'll be working hard in training this week and hoping to put things right. And with a patched-up team next week, you know, there'll be a few players out, but I'm sure Paul Roy's got the, the mentality in his squad to go to Wakefield and do a job. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it was a great day, Armed Forces Appreciation Day. Lots going on in and around the stadium uh, concerning the Army. Uh, they do a fantastic job in keeping us safe and it's great that the club uh, managed to uh, put on a day for them and all the uh, the people who were part of it. Yeah, certainly. I thought they did a tremendous job and it all added to a terrific atmosphere. You know, these people, like you said, keep us safe, do a, do a fantastic job. You know, I don't think they get paid well enough for it sometimes. I think they could be paid a bit more money for what they do, putting their lives on the line for us. So I thought they were, they were terrific. I thought everybody bought into it and everybody really thoroughly enjoyed the day. And credit to the club as well. We've said it before at Salford, you know, they've not got a mass amount of people running the club and, and people and staff and things like that. But they did a great job to, you know, on the budget that they've got, you know, a shoestring budget really. And uh, I think everybody mucked in and made it a fantastic day. The weather was great, apart from the rain when the match was on. But when the match wasn't, and everything seemed nice and uh, nice and warm and, and sunny, didn't it? So, uh, so yeah, it was a good day, and I think everybody thoroughly enjoyed it. And great to get the record crowd as well. I thought that was tremendous. Icing on the cake. Yeah, record attendance of seven thousand eight hundred and sixty-nine. Uh, Paul at the Salford City Stadium. Um, it's important now, that I think, that the club kick on from from here. Obviously, we do talk about the rugby league and and the the game and the the day that surrounds it and the way supporters want to be entertained it's not just about the 80 minutes it's about the day now and like the day the hall around the game was fantastic with everything going on regarding the the army appreciation day but the club will need to do something in the next home game it's not just one big brilliant day where everything's going on and then next day just go 
just back to normal. It has to be an event to entice these people back, these fans and new fans who, who managed, who may have been engaged with the club over the last couple of weeks and thought, well, I'll come down. They're expecting a level uh, of entertainment and you're hoping that the, the club can provide that. Yeah, certainly. I think they did a great job with the, with the shuttle bus as well from the Trafford Centre. I think we've spoken about that on our podcast before, haven't we? It's, it's mm-hmm. a no-brainer for me. You've got like probably the biggest shopping place in, in Britain um, where people are always like a shopping mecca, isn't it? The Trafford Centre. So people are always going there. So it must attract millions of people. So if you can get a bus link and a transport link from there, what what better way to... I mean, it's not my cup of tea going there shopping, but a lot of people will, will make a day if they want to get something to eat, go and do a bit of shopping, then get the bus to the match. So it adds to the day, doesn't it? So I think having that transport link is uh, is tremendous. So, um, so yeah, let's hope we can carry on things like that and, uh, and, and really start building. Maybe not shopping, but coffee, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, coffee, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> uh, talking about the other fixtures, um, and the results, sorry, in Super League this uh, weekend, uh, Hull FC uh, beat Helen, beat St. Helens 34 points to six. What a big result that was. Yeah, it was a big result. St. Helens have been a funny team this season. I know they, they spoke about the, the trip to Australia and how that took its toll on them, but I think they can put that to bed now because they've had a good run since then. But I think you've got to give all the credit to Hull. I, I caught quite a bit of that game the other night and um, I thought Hull was tremendous. Played the game really, really well. Played at a real quick tempo and they don't look anything like the, the team that Salford have beat twice this season. I mean, we've beaten pretty comfortably twice, so they seem to be improving and improving at the right time of the season now. So, you know, I think the odds before that game were 50-1 to 1 for Hull to win the grand final, which are massive odds. But, you know, you can see them making the playoffs. You can see them having a, a charge for the playoffs. Now, they've got a good squad as well when they're all fit, good spine. So, you know, Jake Clifford and Jake Truman seem to be linking up really well now in the halves. And I think that's what they needed. So, now with settled halfbacks, they could be a team to watch. Yeah, Castleford, who were struggling towards the bottom end, bottom end of Super League, beat Warrington, who were t- towards the top, 23 points to four. That was a, a turn-up for the Bucks. It was, yeah, a great win for Castleford. You know, um, we went there with Salford a few weeks ago and absolutely smashed Castleford 42-10. So, I think for them to beat Warrington, Warrington are on a bit of a poor run at the moment. I mean, we seem to think every season Warrington are going to do well and they're going to be champions and this, that and the other. But I don't know, for one one reason or other, they've hit a bad patch of form. I mean, it could just be a temporary pack, bad patch. They've got some good players, haven't they? They've got an excellent pack of forwards and some very exciting backs as well and probably got one of the best squads in the in the league on paper. So it could just be a blip for Warrington. But I think coach Daryl Powell will be slightly alarmed by that and he'll want to fix that up as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, Hull KR beat Wakefield after last week's quarter-final win. Back it up against uh, Wakefield uh, Super League's bottom club, Wakefield. Obviously, Salford face them next week. So, hopefully, uh, they'll continue in that form. Yeah, credit Hull Kingston Rovers. I mean, they've been doing it tough with a few injuries, haven't they? But they keep pulling out the results. And, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing for the playoffs as well at the moment. Wakefield are desperately in trouble, especially with that that victory for Castleford, that's pushed them even further adrift, hasn't it? So, they're, they're really behind the eight ball at the moment at the bottom and they're desperate for a win. So, that's what makes it even tougher for Salford going there. Our record at Wakefield is very, very poor. They always seem to play well against us. So, I think they'll be targeting that game and they played very well against Leeds a couple of weeks ago and got two points. So, we need to be on our metal to, to beat them. Yeah, talking about Leeds, they played Huddersfield and won 54 points to nil. Ian Watson, Salford's Devils coach, is really under pressure at Huddersfield. I saw his interview on Sky Sports after the game and he wasn't pulling any punches about his players. He wasn't very happy about the performance and he uh, yeah, wasn't in the best of moods. No, I watched his press conference as well um, and I was... Uh... 
I felt a bit sorry for him. I felt sorry for him after the match because I thought I thought the Sky sort of pundits were were going for him a bit really, and they don't do that to other coaches. And there's other coaches who, who probably have as much pressure as he is. But for some reason, you know, what what all seems to be doing it tough. But I think he's. I, can, I know his philosophy. I know what you we, we know from his time at Salford. He's a good coach. He, he lives and breathes the game. And I think what he's got at Huddersfield. I mean, this is my opinion. I think he's got a lot of players there who, who just don't seem up for it. You know, they seem to be on easy street, picking a wage up and, and doing well. And they don't seem to want to bend their backs and, and perform for him. I think he'll weed those players out. I just hope he's given the opportunity to do that because, you know, there's no doubt what was a good coach. And, you know, he just needs some players he can trust. And I think, I, I know people are saying, well, he signed those players, but they're, uh, they're not doing him justice at the moment. It's a shame. Mm. Catalan Dragons were at home to Lee in the the game of this game of this weekend for me. Um, Won thirty eight points to thirty. Plenty of uh, points in that contest. Yeah, I think Lee t- to me have been the surprise package of the season. I think they've been absolutely outstanding as a club off the field and as a club on it. I think they've put some fantastic shows at the home games. They've really really impressed me. They've got some big crowds as well. They pulled out all the stops, had music on. And, and played some cracking rugby as well. I mean, they were really unlucky in that game. I think they were 20 points and nil down at Catalan. They stormed back to take the lead. And I thought they were going to win that game. They were mightily, mightily close. But, you know, they're in a Challenge Cup semi-final against St. Helens as well. And they've got a real chance of, of beating St. Helens. I think the, the brand of rugby they play, they, they, they score plenty of points. And, you know, they, they, they've got a chance of winning a trophy this season. And they've probably been in the doldrums just as long as Salford have. So, uh, so yeah, fair fair play to Lee. And uh, as long as they don't beat Salford, let's hope they keep playing well they, when they're beating other teams. Yeah. Let's move on to our local other side, Swinton Lions. They were in action against Widnes this weekend. Away from home and won 25 points to 18. Tremendous result for Alan Coleman's men. Yeah, they pulled out some fantastic results. I mean, I'm not a massive... Um, Massive knowledge of, of Swinton history, but I bet they've probably not played Witness that many times over the last couple of decades. So I wouldn't like to say when the last time they won it, won it Witness. They, they might have won fairly recently, I'm not too sure, but uh, I wouldn't say they played them that many times. But to go to, to Witness and get a result, I think, is, is a great win for them. You know, Witness are one of the dark horses at the moment. They've been a bit in and out this season, but they've still got some good players. But that's a fantastic result on the road, and it was a much needed one as well for Swinton. They had some some heavy defeats. You know, last weekend they were they were battered at home to, to Batley and uh, They've had a few other defeats as well, so uh, it's good for them to get back up, you know, a result back up and, and start moving up the table. But that's that's an excellent result to witness. Yeah, great result. Alan Coleman will be happy. Looking forward to the fixtures for this week. And Salford play Wakefield away on Friday. Salford ladies are away at Featherstone on Sunday, and Swinton Lions are at home against uh, Sheffield. So that on the Sunday, so that will be a uh, three good uh, good games. To look forward to. Yeah, there's a few ex Salford players in that Sheffield Eagles uh, team as well. The Chris Wellen keeps scoring the tries, doesn't he? So uh, I know he'll be one to watch out for. But no, that's an intriguing game. Sheffield have sort of gone off the boil the last couple of weeks. So Swinton will be fancying the chances. Salford ladies, he said, a, a tough trip to Featherstone. And, and uh, Salford, uh, the men's team, have got a tough trip to Wakefield as well. So some, uh, some intriguing matches to look forward to next week. So we're joined by uh, James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. Most certainly am, Rob. Uh, to kick us off by involvement this week, we are delighted to welcome onto the Sports Zone a very special guest, a former Super Bowl winner, Mr Sean Gale. He was talking about the growth of the sport within the UK. This week we had a mini Monsters camp at the Etihad in Manchester and the aim of this was to grow the sport, get the kids into it. So without further ado, here he is. 
Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be here at the Mini Monsters Camp here in Manchester with former Super Bowl champion Sean Gell. And what a spectacular event we have here today. It is a spectacular event. I mean, you take a look at these young faces and how much fun they're having. You know, we saw them coming in and, of course, they're joking around with their friends. Uh, they out of school right now. Uh, well, not completely out of school. But to be here in this environment and learn about American football, I think it's tremendous. And they're really up for the task, which is all we ask because it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to teach them some drills. But for them to enjoy themselves and get out and participate and get active for 60 minutes, that's what really counts for all of us. Absolutely. The Chicago Bears, a team that wants to install a positive mindset in all of these kids. Have you been impressed by what you've seen here today? I have been because, you know, there's a there's a change in the, the look on the faces of these children when they sit down. They're not, they don't know what to expect. But once they get into this and they start running around and you see how much fun it is and they learn some things and, they, and it's some activity they're not accustomed to and, and they gravitate towards it, everybody's a winner. They're all having a good time and that's all we're going to ask. It's amazing, obviously, to see how big the sports is in America. It's coming into fruition here in the UK, becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's great to see all these kids getting involved. I imagine for you, it must throw back some memories to when you started playing football. Yes. <laughs> you know what? When we look back on the days that we were introduced to the game itself, it's different than the United States because the NFL is everywhere. It was the thing to do. If you were a, a, a young lad running around playing with your friends eventually somebody showed up with the football because they knew it's gonna it's it's it's, it's our culture it's, it's part of us so now to see this uh, expansion over here in the UK it's, it's unbelievable you know keep in mind when I was with the Bears and we played in old Wembley Stadium in 86 following the Super Bowl and to see that fan base and how it's grown and how much attention still on the game this says a lot about the NFL and how they've approached this because they, they're, they're really pushing this product to the point where, as we believe in it, the fans here are really believing in it. Absolutely, and you've lived in London for quite a long time now. Can you tell me about the developments you've seen over that period? Well, uh, number one, of, of course, is the media coverage. Uh, I think it was Channel 4 back way back when in the, in the games that they were selecting, and then my time at Sky, which was which was really uh, something because we had the opportunity to, to bring more coverage to the fans. And then when you meet the fans outside of uh, you know us just being in the studio or even at the games here when you meet them and they want to talk about the game, you, you see their passion. You, you understand that they really believe in the sport itself. It's so different than the sport that they experience here in the UK. But it's growing and then sooner or later, you know, it's, it's going to matter because you look at these young kids here now, I know it's going to stay with them. You know, sooner or later, uh, down the road when they're older, they're going to say, yeah, I remember that. I spent time. Let's turn on the game to see what's going on in the NFL. Absolutely, because just from what they've done here today, it could inspire them to do something so much bigger. And when you reflected on your start in the game and you went all the way to winning a Super Bowl title, can you tell me a little bit about that journey, what it meant to you to become a Super Bowl champion? And, you know, there's possibilities here today that one of these kids could be inspired to do the very same thing. It's all about believing in yourself, and that's the thing about team sports. And you know, you talk about building confidence and learning accountability and, and things of that nature, things that we need as adults to move forward in our lives. All of these things are honed in playing team sport. You know, you got to be part of a unit. You have to be responsible. You have to know what to do, and you have to believe in the guy next to you, the person next to you, and that you have to know that uh, you have to make the right decisions to move forward. 
All these things are so important and that's why you know part of this program is for kids to focus on that. We want them to have fun but also benefit from what this game provides and that's understanding these type of things. Absolutely. I spoke to a couple of school children before and they were absolutely thrilled to meet you in person. Are you happy to be making their days? You know, <laughs> of course I am. I, I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm a lucky person to be here that they would want to listen to or even talk to and and I really appreciate that. I just want to do my part and, and that's being a part of this whole thing to bring the idea of American football uh, play 60 meaning physical activity for 60 minutes a day uh, best nutrition as, as possible and to be hydrated to talk about these things with these kids seeing them run around and enjoy it, it it makes my day I mean when they when the Bears asked me to join in I wasn't really sure what this was about but then once I learned about it of course I think anybody would want to be a part of something so positive and we've got Gustavo here as well, and his enthusiasm is infectious. <laughs> yes. Um, when you talk to him, you think you're talking to two different people. <laughs> I mean, one's talking about the value of this, the other one's getting the, the, the crowd cheered on. I mean, it's, it, it's great, and he's a real motivator, and, and, you know, the Bears are very fortunate to have him. It's been amazing to talk to you today. I'd like to thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to add? Um... Well, the big thing is uh, uh, for our young people, we want to make sure that they are involved in some type of activity. Make sure that their mind is active and that they're physically active uh, to make sure that they um, are ready for any challenges that they may face. This is what's important and this is what team sports brings to the table. So we want kids to make sure they stay uh, connected and stay active and uh, anything we can do on our side, we're happy to help. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, it was fascinating hearing everything Shine had to say about the growth of the sport, the evolution of the game, and also reflecting on some of his experience growing up and winning the Super Bowl. But now moving on, we've got the manager of youth football at the Chicago Bears, Mr. Gustavo Silva. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Gustavo Silva here in Manchester at the Mini Monsters Camp, and it's an amazing day today, isn't it? It's absolutely, it's a beautiful day. We have, you know, approximately 180 kids out here participating in our Mini Monsters Clinic as part of our UK Mini Monsters Tour, so uh, you can't get better than this. Most certainly, we've got an amazing special guest here today. Can you tell me a little bit about him and what it means to the kids to meet him in person? Absolutely. Well, Sean Gale uh, is obviously one of our Chicago Bear alumni. He's a Chicago Bear legend, part of the 1985 Super Bowl championship team. And we're just fortunate that Sean was able to join us on the first leg of this tour. And I think, you know, f uh, for the kids to meet somebody uh, that has succeeded so at such a high level, but is also humble and kind enough to come here today and encourage them, not only, uh, you know, to participate in American football, but more importantly to participate in a healthy lifestyle which is really what this is all about absolutely and the sport obviously so big in america and the ambition now is to make it just as big over here and allow these kids that are here today to find the benefits of it absolutely you know we feel that we you know are biased we feel that american football is the greatest team sport there is uh, and we also feel that uh, if given access to the game, if given the opportunity to play the game, uh, that everybody will love it. And so far, that has proven to be true in our tour that we did last year in the UK, the tour that we did earlier this year in Spain, and our second UK tour. Uh, we've never had a bad clinic. Uh, every every you know child that has been able to participate has had a great time, enjoyed themselves, uh, and and you know been active playing the game and, and succeeded at it. So you know I think so far our theory has proven to be true. 
Absolutely, and it's great to hear from you because your enthusiasm is infectious. It was great hearing you do the speech at the start to motivate the kids, and I believe there's going to be some special awards to the kids that really stand out the best today. Absolutely. So, you know, we really want to focus with American football on the health benefits of it, and then also those intangible things that you get uh, from playing the game that are not directly associated you know, necessarily with a score or with an accomplishment. Things like giving great effort, things like having great sportsmanship, things like encouraging your teammates, and and really just having fun so we really want to recognize children that are excelling in those areas because really that's what it's all about at the end of the day um, you know it's not about winning and losing it's really about all the things that we get from sport and specifically in our case from American football that we want the kids to benefit from so we want to recognize that when we see that and I believe you said there are three kids in particular that are going to get a reward today could you tell me that what that reward is absolutely so we have a, a miniature uh, football that is going to be autographed uh, with a personal message from Sean Gale that those three kids will get. In addition, uh, all the kids are going to get a, in a special edition autographed card that Sean Gale is also going to sign for them. So everyone's going to leave here today having had a great experience, having had a great souvenir from today, something that they can look back on years later and remember what a great time they had with the Mini Monsters, with the Chicago Bears, and with Sean Gale. That's amazing, and I imagine being here today must bring back a lot of memories for you from when you started in American football. Could you tell me a little bit about your journey and why this sport means so much to you personally? Uh, you know, I started playing American football when I was probably about the same age as these kids, uh, is when I was introduced to the game, and I always liked it. Uh, I just had a lot of fun and a lot of success with it, and it's tr it's been a tremendous part of my life. I was, I've was i been a coach for 30 years. I've coached youth football. I've also coached other sports as well as a physical education teacher, so um, really, for me, all the things that I took from the sport have allowed me to succeed in life, right? I wouldn't be here doing this amazing job that I have if it wasn't for the lessons that I learned in sport. So I feel an obligation to give back and to give kids the same access to this amazing sport that I got. So that's really why we're out here. That's fantastic. I hope some of the kids can gain some inspiration from this. Have you been impressed by what you've seen today? Absolutely. You know, I've done hundreds of these clinics and it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, like I said, that every clinic is great just to watch the kids grow in their confidence. Um, they're different uh, when they leave at the end of the clinic than when they got here. Their confidence grows, their enthusiasm grows, their open-mindedness to the sport of American football grows, their enthusiasm for the Chicago Bears grows. So that's great to have them leave with that positive experience and, and that open door to many possibilities. That's fantastic. I'd like to thank you so much for inviting me here today and giving me some time for an interview. But before I let you go, is there anything that you would like to add or discuss that I've perhaps not asked you about? Uh, no, I would just say go Bears. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Absolutely great stuff there. And now moving on to the world of boxing, of course, I'm delighted to be talking alongside Mr. Paul Whiteside. In the heavyweight division, it's been a bit of a bizarre place this week. We've got lots of potential fights in the pipeline. But the one we want, Joshua Wilder, doesn't look like it's going to be happening yet. Instead, they look like they're going to be heading in different directions. So let's head for Anthony Joshua first, a potential contest with Dillian White looked to be almost over the line, but they're having contract issues over payment. Dillian White not quite on board with what's being offered at this stage, Paul. Should that not be an easy fight to make? Yeah, you would have thought so, James. Uh, nice to speak to you, by the way. Um, you would have thought so. I mean, he, he's probably not the fight people want to see, though, is it? That, that's the thing. But you've got two fighters there. I think Dylan White and, and Anthony Joshua, you, you'd think it'd jump at the chance, really, of, of getting back in the ring. I think for Joshua, you know, ring rustiness is 
you know, a danger of, 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 of really its ugly head with him, really. I think if I was Anthony Joshua, I'd want to be out as much as possible now and, uh, you know, regaining some confidence. So I'd, I would have thought that that fight would be dead easy to get over the line, but uh, obviously not. But uh, we'll have to watch the this, this space on this one. It does, does seem another strange fight, though. Is it, I mean, for both men at this stage of the career, how much allure do they bring? Because Anthony Joshua is renowned for selling out Wembley, selling out the Principality Stadium in, in Cardiff. His last fight was in the O2 Arena, and he wasn't even capable of selling that out. So that's a drop from, you know, 90,000 or so tickets to not even being able to sell 20,000 tickets. Realistically, how many fans could that fan fight draw? I think you'd be looking to sell an arena out. I think you'd be looking to sell 20,000 tickets for it. I think with Anthony Joshua, he's just slipped so far down the pecking order over the last couple of years. It's, it's unbelievable really, the, the plight he's been on. I think that's that's my point I was trying to make. He, he, he really does need to start boxing and start getting wins under his belt and grow that reputation again, really, because uh, I think people are getting, I don't know, a bit frustrated straight with heavyweight box. I think Tyson Fury is another one at the moment, you know, for somebody who the fans seem to love. At the moment, I think a lot of people seem to be turning on him and, you know, thinking he's he's, he's sort of um, taking them for a ride, really, you know, promising people fights and, you know, talk's pretty cheap, isn't it, sometimes? We never seem to see these fights materialise. That's what people want to see. I mean, we've had the rumours of AJ, we've had the rumours of Usyk, we've had, I think, a trio of Australians from Jair Pattaya to Dempsey McKean and another potential fight out there. He's then been linked to UFC fighters. The Tyson Fury antics on social media, it's video after video after video and no fight ever seems to get confirmed. When do we expect Tyson Fury back in the ring? Has he even gone to fight this year? I'm not so sure, James. Uh, I... I... I'd, I'd probably say no at this moment in time because you look at some of Tyson Fury's fights, they do take an awful long time to get over the line. And when they do get made, you, you t- you're usually talking months away, aren't you, in the build-up and the camp and whatever. So there's nothing on the cards at the moment. We're, you know, we're at the back end of June, aren't we? So uh, I'd be surprised if something happened this year. But I think his reputation has sort of changed a bit. People are sort of expecting nothing to happen now, aren't they, at the moment with this sort of laugh at him and think, oh, yeah, you've heard it all before on these these sort of videos and that. And uh, it's becoming the norm now, isn't it, listening to him waffling on on, on Twitter or whatever he does. So, uh, so yeah, people, I think people are just frustrated. They just want to see these fights happen. And before you know it, you know, his career will be over, won't it? You know, it doesn't last forever, does it? You know, you're in the peak of your, your sort of boxing powers. You want to get on with it and, and, and get the fights and, and build that legacy. But I don't know it. I wouldn't say like, say he's, he's sort of scared of fighting, but I think he's probably one of those where he doesn't want to lose and, you know, I think there's some tricky fights out there. I think Usyk's a tricky fight. Has he, has he got the, the, the bottle to take that fight on? Um, I'm not so sure. No, it's very interesting to see what happens there. Somebody else who will need a lot of bottle is Andy Ruiz because Deontay Wilder has given him an official contract offer. By the looks of it, Ruiz is set to accept that. Is that a fight you'd like to see? And what can Andy Ruiz do to defeat Deontay Wilder? I think Andy Ruiz can can beat anybody if he arrives in the right shape shape and the right frame of mind you know we saw that in the, the fight with Anthony Joshua and um, you know there's no doubt Deontay Wilder carries absolutely fantastic power we've seen those great fights with, with Tyson he's a big man as well not massive at the weight he's a tall man isn't he and, and just carries that power at the, the weight he fights at I mean I won't say he was like a 20 odd stone merchant but um, I think that, that knockout power he has would be 
it'd be a lot for for Andy Ruiz. But Andy Ruiz has got the right style to fight him. I think he's got the the style to to get in up in there and upset and get in his face. So I think you'd have two styles that marry up really well. It'd be interesting to see how how the bronze bomber would fight Ruiz. I mean, um, he'd, he'd be wary. I mean, you don't have to speak to Anthony Joshua about that because I think Anthony Joshua took that fight lightly that first one, and, and we all saw what happened there. So, so yeah, I think that'd be an intriguing one. That it's a bit of a left field fight that for me, but it's one I'm interested to see how it pans out. When you look at how these two men match up from a perspective of how much they've got left, Deontay Wilder obviously took a severe beating, especially in the third fight against Tyson Fury. It was 11 rounds of pretty much brutality, even though he did have little bits of success with the knockdowns and such. In his comeback bar against Robert Hellenius, he looked absolutely fantastic. A first-round knockout, vintage Wilder. Could that be masking other problems because it was only a round worth of activity? Yeah, I think so. Sometimes when you get fights like that, they, they, they blow outs, aren't they? And obviously, we've seen it before where people have been knocked out in the first round and then a rematch has been a totally different story. We've seen that on a number of occasions. So I think with that, what what you have seen is Deontay Wilder has still got that, that power. You know that knockout power to come out and really, you know, go toe to toe with someone in a shootout like that. And you know, he's always had that 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 big right hand, that big looping right hand. And you know, um, he's still a very very dangerous fighter. You know, I think the Anthony Joshua, the Anthony Wilder fighter, being exciting one. I think that'd be great to see. But we just seen as boxing purists, we we just seem to get denied these fights all the time. These fights should be happening. You know, Anthony Joshua should be fighting two or three times a year, in my opinion. But they don't. He, he just, they just seem to stay really, really inactive. And I think Deontay Wilder's been another one. So uh, we've been denied some big fights for a long time now, and it's about time they happened. And somebody who can't seem to resist the big fight atmosphere is Tony Bellew. He's been on Talk Sport this week. He wants to come back out of retirement to take on Lucas Rosansky for the WBC Bridgeweight World Title. For those who don't know the poll, he just pulverised for lack of a better term, Alan Babich out in Poland inside a round and a big upset to win the title. Would you like to see Bellew back in action with him? And is that a realistic chance for him to become a two-weight world champion? Well, I didn't hear that. I've not heard this story. I've been a bit locked away with, with stuff this week and whatever. So I've not heard this. So uh, it's news to me. But I thought uh, Tony Bellew was long retired. So to see him back out, it'd, it'd be tremendous. You know, he's, he's a great entertainer. But you sort of worry sometimes, don't you, when people start coming back out of retirement. I know there's been a fight announced this week between Ricky Burns and Will Limond, which was um, was very exciting. But you've got two blokes there that are the wrong side of 40. So, uh, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how those go. But, no, I, I'm not sure about Tony Bellew. I mean... Be exciting, but I don't know. Is he is he is he too old now, or has he been too long out of it? He always gets in tremendous shape, doesn't he? For a for a fat lad, as he as he calls himself. But <laughs> but no, that that's news to me. That James, I didn't know about that. We'll have to see how it goes over the coming weeks, and who knows? Maybe we'll have a fight announcement to get our teeth sunk into. But another big story this week is Canelo Alvarez. He has left Eddie Hearn and DAZN. He is headed over to Stephen Osber and Showtime Sports. He's going to be fighting Jamal Charlo, it looks likely. What do you make of that fight? And where does that leave Eddie Hearn on his own? Because with Joshua clearly falling down the ladder, Conor Ben struggling with drug issues, and now Canelo Alvarez leaving him, he doesn't really have any big names on his own. No, he doesn't. And I think he's still holding out for the um, 
the fight between Conor Ben and uh, and Eubank Jr. There's been rumours about that one again, hasn't it? I think I think surely that fight's got to happen, hasn't it? Those two want to fight each other. I think that'd be the the sort of jewel in the crown for Eddie. But uh, it must be alarming for him, you know. He's he's lost some some big names there and. Anthony Joshua, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful to him, but it's been like a bit of a fall from grace for him over the last couple of years. He was, you know, the massive heavyweight in Britain, wasn't he? The demolition man, you know. But but now I don't think he's just feared now. I think uh, there was a, there was a time when he was really feared in heavyweight boxing by by boxers, by fighters. Whereas now I don't think he's looked at it like that now, is he really? He's really has to fell down the pecking order. So so yeah, Eddie Hearn will be pretty uh, concerned about that. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see how Eddie Hearn deals with this. His first level of adversity, we know over years that Frank Warren has bounced back on more than one occasion. So we'll have to find out if Hearn is made of the main stuff. And one of his big fighters, Katie Taylor, lost her last fight against Shoutout Cameron. She has now exercised the rematch clause. Is there anything she can do to turn back the clock and win that one? Yeah, I think so. I think she's a terrific champion. And, and there's no doubt about that. You can have another crack at it and, and, and see how you, you can go again in the second fight. I, I think she deserves that chance. I mean, she's been terrific throughout her career. And, yeah, she's defeated there. But I think she's probably owed that that, that, that rematch. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't count her out. There's no doubt about that. And now moving on to the world of football. And, Rob, the season's over. We've now gone in to the transfer window. One of the big headlines this week, David De Gea, his contract is pretty much up. Do you think he'll be in a Manchester United top next season? I don't think he will, James. I think um, Eric Ten Hag wants a goalkeeper who can play out from the back, use his feet as well as his hands. Uh, David De Gea does have issues with his feet. Other teams know it, so they press him. So having a goalkeeper who is better with his feet will allow Man United to build attacks better. David De Gea has won Golden Glove awards in the past. He has saved many points for Manchester United throughout the years. But is it time for a change? Do we have a, another goalkeeper in mind who is as good as David De Gea between the posts, saving the balls, but better with his feet? That's the question. If you've got someone in mind, then it's great. If they're still wondering what to do, then that might be a concern for me. Well, the man that they are allegedly lining up is Andrea Nana of Inter Milan. Have you seen much of him? No, James, um, but I'm told he is very good. Do you know a bit about him? Yeah, obviously, he featured in that Champions League final again, didn't he, against Manchester mm. City. A good goalkeeper. He's kept Inter Milan in quite a few games. His distribution in that Champions League final looked limited, but in general, I'm led to believe it is quite good. And he seems to be the sort of man that Eric Ten Hag wants to utilise. I mean, if you look at the goalkeepers that Sir Alex had, the, the Smeichels, the Van der Sars, etc., very different stylistically to the route that Eric Ten Hag wants to go down. So it'll be interesting to bring somebody in and somebody who can play to Eric Ten Hag's strengths. Yeah, I think, obviously, football has evolved, and it, since my Alex Ferguson days. You need your goalkeeper to be an extra player many times in the build-up. And you need, like you say, a goalkeeper to be good in between the posts and to do that. And I suppose with, I suppose it's the same with Man City and Joe Hart and his um, ability the, with, the, with the football at his feet. Um, that's why Pep Guardiola moved him on. So you're hoping that you know this is a this is a, a mirror uh, image. It'll happen again and it'll sort of propel Man United up into the upper epilogues of uh, European football again. Absolutely, that is definitely what we all want here at the Sports Zone. David De Gea in particular has been a keeper that while, you know, probably lost us perhaps even nine points last season, he did make 
some mistakes, which he has done throughout his Manchester United career. But at his best, he's pretty unbeatable between the sticks. What legacy is he going to leave at Manchester United? Yeah, you know, he'll, he'll be seen as one of the best Man United goalers that's ever been. Um, you know, personally, I think he, he, he saved a lot with his feet uh, rather than his hands. Um, but anyway, keep the ball out is all that matters, isn't it, really? You know, he's the top of the, the clean sheet pile when it comes to Manchester United goalies. So uh, his legacy will always be the top of the, the best of the best. Um, is he really though, better than the likes of Peter Schmeichel in between the posts? I'd probably say no, because Peter Schmeichel was the greatest Manchester United goalkeeper of all time. I know you've got different thoughts on that, and I'm sure you'll you'll come in and see and tell me if David De Gea is as good as Edwin van der Sar is or was. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose he will be ranked as one of the best uh, Man United goalies of all time. Yeah, I can very much tell that this was a Rob Parkinson monologue when Schmeichel came into play. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, as, as we say, David there has been a great keeper in his own right. Is he quite up there with Schmeichel and Van der Sar? You know, uh, people can argue amongst themselves, but I think there's no doubt that when he was at his best, he truly was brilliant. And somebody else that Manchester United desperately want to bring in is Mason Mount, mm. currently at Chelsea. They're at the moment, by the looks of it, demanding a little bit too much money. Yeah, I think with with football and Chelsea being one of our rivals, uh, they won't want to let Mason Mount go on the cheap, will let. So they'll want to try and get as much money out of Manchester United as possible. Really, this kind of thing does make a Mason Mount need to push for the transfer public to try to shame Chelsea into letting him go. Um, it's all the dark arts of the transfer world, isn't it? Do, uh, does Mason Mount need to work on that to try and get his release from Chelsea? That's the big question. Most certainly. I mean, he would be coming in, obviously, as a midfielder. And when you look at what we've got at the moment, Fred, McTominay, etc., not exactly our best position at the pitch. I mean, when Casemiro got injured at points last season, we did seem to struggle without him. How integral is it that we bring in a midfielder? And is that the position on the pitch that we need to fill the most? I think... Yeah. I think with the way Tag wants to play, he wants midfielders who can play in tight situations. Mason Mount does sort of add to that. He, he is a good footballer. Um, is he good enough to be a Manchester United player? That's to, to be seen. Um, but Eric Ten Hag has seen what he's about and, and he thinks he can do a job for his team, which is the important thing. Obviously, you live and die by the sword if you're a manager. You pick your players and they perform. So I'm sure when he puts, if he manages to put on that red shirt, uh, he'll try his best and we'll see uh, what he can produce. And there's also a bit of squabbling right now over Declan Rice. A very good player, somebody who's endeared himself to the fans. Manchester City and Arsenal are going toe-to-toe. They're at loggerheads to back his services next season. Which of those two teams do you think is going to come out on top? Well, Declan Rice, what a player he is. A, a player that you know would walk into Manchester United's team and many uh, we would just go and get him. But the way the Premier League's changed and there's more money, um, Manchester City being Manchester City, Arsenal being you know the second best team in your in in Premier League, it will be a task uh, for him to choose. He wants us to, by the sound of it, he wants to stay in London, so that gives Arsenal advantage. But Manchester City are a, t- a team full of superstars, and if he wants to to reach the the top of of European football and win trophies both domestically and abroad, you can't look past Man City at the moment to be that vehicle to do so. But like you say, there's lots of people involved and it's up to him if he wants wants to leave London or not. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. I mean, Manchester City, a team who are expected to be active 
throughout the transfer window. They've lined up our £103 million bid for Josko Vardial, a great mm. player from RB Leipzig. I mean, th- this looks like their priority signing for the transfer window. Yeah, obviously, with, with the way Man City are, you know, it's it's just tinkering around the edges now. They've got quality all over uh, that squad, obviously. There's players that have left and Pep Guardiola will want to bring them players in, new players in to spice up the team. I think with, you know, teams that, that go through the uh, the process of winning things, it's all about keeping that squad fresh and 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 making sure that the people that are coming in are hungry and then taking the players out who are spent forces or getting old or want another challenge because that's the that's the, the the beauty of being a football manager James with a minute to go Pep Guardiola knows how to do that and that puts uh, the fear into the rest of the Premier League it most certainly does Rob and Manchester United a team you support very deeply we don't know if we're going to get Mount yet. I'd like to think that we will. If you could have a magic wand and you could pick a player to bring in, who would it be? Who would bring in? I'd probably bring uh, Virgil van Dijk in from Liverpool. I think he'd solve our defensive problems. Um, and then I'd bring in uh, Harry Kane up front. Um, just to just to be a force in that midfield, uh, in the, the you know the up front area. Uh, with, with 30 seconds to go, James, what, what would you be? Who would you pick? Yeah, Van Dyke would be an amazing signing. I, I mean, obviously, it's going to be extremely tough to pry him oh, yeah. away from Jurgen Klopp. But uh, Harry Kane seems to be the much more doable option of those two. He's a guaranteed goal scorer and he's somebody I would love to have in the side. And granted, we've not been winning too many trophies. We did win one last season and that is what Harry Kane is lacking. Yeah, so we'll be talking all about the, the sports zone, all the, all the transfers soon. And we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat. 